Hello, and welcome to the Christmas episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking, and film theory. In each programme, we'll focus on a particular movie, and we're going to review it, talk about it, and discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always, we'll end with recommendations of films to watch following this week's films, our further reading, if you will. The links are going to be as close or as tenuous, they're going to be based on actors or themes or directors or anything we kind of really like. So, first things first, who are we? Um, you've heard us talk about ourselves a lot before. Um, my companion on this podcast is Rob Maythorn, who spent many years as a in, it's minor but integral part of the British film industry. <laughs> You're so kind, so kind. <laughs> um, working on a variety of different films and now is a an eminent um, publisher, editor, photographer... Um, visiting lecturer and all sorts um, and my name's Sam Knowles and I'm a teacher and writer and I write books and articles about pop culture and literature and stuff Brilliant So Sam, this week uh, for our final Christmas show it was your twist film Yes, and I chose the 1946 Frank Capra film It's a Wonderful Life Yes, it's wonderful news For when all these wonderful people get into the swim It's a wonderful life For never before has any film contained such a full measure of the joy of living The drama of living And above all, the glorious romance that makes this such a wonderful life Don't you ever get tired of just reading about things? Yeah Hey, what are you doing tonight? Um... I think everyone is going to know this film. Um, it's it, probably Jimmy Stewart's most famous role. Um, it has a a good supporting cast, and I suppose James Stewart is the reason people watch this film. And it's regularly celebrated as a, one of the best, if not the best, Christmas film. It gets shown on TV regularly. Um, and for this reason, I thought it was an interesting one to talk about. Uh, Rob, your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's, this is one of those films where it's hard to say good or bad things about it because it's just such a so much of a kind of cultural artifact, such of a cultural mm. thing. I will say this: I think that it is heartwarming. I think it is pitched well between schmaltzy and sort of edginess it makes me cry which i think is a a triumph for any film or any anything because i'm not renowned for my outburst emotion i think that um james stewart is brilliant in it i think that donna reed is brilliant in it i just think for me it is probably the most christmassy of christmas films now I I enjoy Die Hard, I enjoy um, Home Alone, I enjoy all these other Christmassy films, but this one feels like proper old school Christmas Christmas um, to me. I think it is it is as much a part of Christmas as mince pies, as mulled wine, in the same way that so like Die Hard I like, but I can watch Die Hard in June and it'd be okay, mm. you know. To watch this film at any time other than late December just seems unnatural. Yes. 
it's so linked to this time it's so integral to this time um and there are there are obviously reasons why that is and if we have time i'll go into things like contract negotiations and copyright and as to why that's the way it is um but yeah that my view is it sam yours contract negotiations and co- negotiations and copyright and other christmasy things um exactly. well it, it, continuing this particularly non-christmasy theme um i want to talk about a bit about why this film is such a terrible christmas film um <laughs> And, All right. <laughs> and the the thing is that it seems to me, and I know I know there are um, there are Christmassy bits. This film, the last ten minutes, is particularly Christmassy. Um, but the central problem of this film, all the way through, is that George Bailey is unhappy with his life. He's unhappy with the life that he builds with Mary, love and family and home and all the things that we are told Christmas is about. Christmas is not about money. Christmas is about spending time with people you love. And that mm-hmm. and that is something that all Christmas films are about. That's what you get with, with Die Hard and with Home Alone and other Christmas films like that. Um, and this seems to me to be an anti-Christmas film because all the way through... The, the James Stewart character is saying, I hate all of this. I don't want any of this. I don't feel this is a particularly Christmassy film because this film feels to me like a rejection of that idea. He continually says, this crummy little town, this crummy old town. Um, and you do have that bit right at the end. Um, but then e- even that, that bit, people coming together at Christmas, coming together to help George, is financial. People come and give money. So, I I suppose this film confuses me a bit because this seems to me to be a film about one man's frustration with the idea behind Christmas. Um, And it seems to me this this film is presented as a a particularly positive Christmassy film, even though there there, there is light and shade in it. But I don't think it's very Christmassy. Fundamentally, see, I, I, I would actually probably disagree with you. I, I, I suppose up until the last ten minutes, I would entirely agree with you. But I think that the ending is what swings around for me. I think that at a a core level, this film was about the the conflict between individual and community. Mm. That, 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 like, aside from his Christmas Christmasy and, and and the jokes and the songs and all that stuff, it is. It's about that tension of each one of us. You know, we the whole phrase "no man is an island," and this film is very much about that. Every step through his life, George Bailey chooses community. Mm. He che- he gives up on his junior college for the savings and loan. He gives up on his travelling for this. He he gives up on his honeymoon with his wife for. For, for, for to stop the depression he always makes the choice to go with community despite him constantly going i want to be an individual i want to i want to go and see these things you know he's never i want to go and meet people he's never I want to be part of this i want to go and make things and see things mm. is all he's ever about but every choice he makes is always the choice for community he marries the girl the hometown girl he doesn't want to leave and rejects violet the girl he wants to leave mm. I think that this film interrogates that tension, and obviously the, the infamous bit where he kind of he sees Potterville, in which 
that's a town where choices are made solely for individuals. Every person there out for themselves. And that's obviously um, represented by Potter. And I suppose the the idea of the overarching film to me is the is that final ten minutes in which that yes you may have but by giving up things for community community will give up things for mm. you like the, like the, the, it settles on the side of community very clearly on the community um, and the idea that yes it may take 30 years of you pitching in for the community but when they you need them they'll be there and this is the I touched on this probably two weeks ago now about what makes it for me a Christmas Christmas film and it's about personal growth mm. and coming together and this film has that. As you say, he always through. Like, this is a crummy town. This is a crummy town. I went out of this town, and he, when he loses the money. I mean, I say spoilers at this point, but I think that we kind of beyond spoilers when it comes yeah, to yeah. this film. When the money goes missing, he never thinks of asking community. Hmm. He, he goes straight to Potter to ask Potter for money. Because he doesn't see the value in the community, and that's where that, that's the lesson he learns is the value of community, and that I think is it's a it's a, a sort of more repeated across Christmas films down the years. It's about learning about family, or learning about friends, or learning about community, and learning about being more than just one person. So, in many ways, I think it's it's almost the both the proto Christmas film. Like this is the the mold from which so many Christmas films since are. A cast. Mm. That's what you mean. I suppose it's there. There is. Hmm. If if you play the long game with this and look at the end of it and look at the overarching narrative as you've just done, then yeah, I, I agree with you. It does. It does make sense to see the film like that. Um, I'm just just stuck with how bleak and how anti relationships how anti-family this film gets at times and there's Mm -hmm. i mean at one point jimmy stewart says to his says to his wife why do we have to have all these kids and it's it's just after he's he's had that showdown with uncle billy and says well one of us is going to prison and it isn't me and it's just those two scenes he seems to be rejecting he's rejecting this idea of of family the the older generation the respect required for an older generation and also rejecting the idea of family in terms of a younger generation in terms of its own progeny so it just I, I see what you mean but it just feels very dark the field the places it goes yes. to is, are very dark i i think that's as as a as a a film it's one of the things that everyone forgets how dark it mm. is I mean, it, it is incredibly dark, particularly in the, you know, it, the, the whole film is about him trying to kill himself. Mm. Um, and then you get Pottersville, which, which is um, sort of, what's the word for it? It's incredibly depressing. I think that all the way through the film, everyone can relate to George Bailey. Because almost everybody I know at some point has made the choice to not do what they want to do in favour of something else. Mm. Every, everyone's going, you know what? I want to do that, but actually, to play ball with the rest of society, I've got to do this. And I think everyone can look at it. I think the film, as I see it, as I read it, is designed to do that. Like, you're meant to be like, actually, now I see where he's coming from. I see where he's coming from this. You know, he's meant to be 
the right side of being a jerk, but still in that zone. Mm. Because I think the payoff at the end only works if you've gone through that journey. Yeah, it, I suppose. I suppose what, what I'm saying is this: this film confuses me. Um, I'm I'm never I'm never sure about this film. I'm not sure what makes it a, a very Christmassy film. Um, and it, it might be that the central thing about the George Reddy character, because as you say, he sort of treads a line between being this loving, beneficent philanthropist who will always give up his money and his time and his aspirations for other people and being mm. a complete jerk. He is he is a horrible, horrible human being at times. And it, it's, like, it's like treading treading that, that line between them. And you, you, you can get it in, um, in in some of those early scenes when he's saying, I wonder, it's another thing actually, how does a 38-year-old Jimmy Stewart play a college student? But when when he's a college student and he's saying, oh, I'm going to go away, I'm going to do these things. And like you say, he, he never, wants to, never wants to talk about the people he's going to meet. He always wants to talk about the, the place he's going to see and then come back home and build things. Um, and he, even in those early scenes, you think, well, this, he's not a very nice bloke. I see what you're saying, but I suppose like a certain point with if 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 we if we as I see it as a Christmas film being a growth film, you've got to start somewhere. Mm. You know, I mean, ultimately, he yeah. is, you say he isn't a very nice bloke, but at the same time, he works incredibly hard for his community, and you know, he's from an outside point of view, he's an incredibly nice bloke. He gave up on his honeymoon to, to fight the depression. He missed out on color. Like that, that, this is the yes. kind of. Yeah. This is where we get into the idea of the, the internal and the external voice. That in his his external Tim the voice that we see as an audience is problematic because he is like, you know, I hate this the silly little town for the silly people that I don't want to do. But at the same time, his actions are ones of incredible noiseness. And maybe maybe as I say this is just me talking out loud, maybe that's why his film has endured so much, is because he seems more real. Like we all have None of us are good people or bad people. We're all kind of a bit of a mixture. And he's supposed to seem more real in that respect. Mm. I suppose with it was something, something in my partner commented, she was watching with me, that this is very Dickens heavy. Um, and there's a, for, for all the bleak house nuts, there is a, a scene in which Potter is very clearly Mr. Smallweed from Bleak House. Um, but there's also an element of Christmas Carol at the end of this with the ghosts coming along to, to Scrooge and saying, this is what mm. life would have been like without you. And it's, it's a similar thing. But the thing, thing with Dickens going, going with what you're saying thing with Christmas Carol is that people can look at this and think, well, yeah, okay. It's, it's a moralistic story in which we, we can behave nicely to other people and the, the spirit of Christmas comes out. But fundamentally, I know I am yes. not Ebenezer Scrooge reading this because he's a horrible person. Um, and what this what this film does is say, well, it, like you say, there, there's something of George mm. Benny in all of us. So there, there is something it, something behind the enduring nature of this film is that he, he is such a relatable exactly, character. Exactly, exactly. I think that I think that's maybe why where, where, where fast films can endure is when you can Relate to someone a little bit, 
Um, I think that this is part of it. I also mm. think that it's it works well because it doesn't lay the Christmas on too thick. Like it's at Christmas, yes. but it isn't Santa yeah. that's eaten. You know, you, th- th- there's, there's no. a, the Christmas tree, but it's just kind of, it's kind of as we said in the past, like Christmas adjacent. Yes, and you have well something like um, is it Janie playing the piano? One of his daughters playing the piano. Yes. but you have Heart the Herald playing in the background, but it's Heart the Herald played fairly badly by an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. That that's the tone of this film. It's like it's sort of Christmassy, but it sounds a bit off key. Exactly, and then that like that's where it may kind of survive a little bit. And because I try to think of like the, the sort of the Christmas films that endure, very few of them, very few of them have like Santa in them. Mm. Um, there are kids' films about Santa. Like I watched one this morning called Arthur Christmas. That's very good. But as an adult, the ones that endure are the ones that are kind of. About Christmas, because I think this kind of this, maybe this ties into aging and understanding Christmas. Is that as a kid, Christmas is one thing, very much giving presents, Santa, that kind of thing. But as we age, and I mean, both Sam and I are thirties now. As you age, Christmas becomes family. It becomes seeing people you don't see otherwise. I mean, presents are there and they're part of it, but generally, most of us are not sitting here bubbling something about the present we're going to get on on on. On uh, on Friday, we're looking forward to seeing our friends or our family or that kind of thing. And Christmas changes, mm. if you see what I'm saying. And I think that's why some films stay with you into adulthood because they they they, they start tapping into a different part of your Christmas experience. Mm. Like this morning, I watched Arthur Christmas with a five year old, and she loved it. I I really like it as well. But if I showed her this, she wouldn't quite relate to all that much because she's she's five yeah also it's it's a fairly dark film to show a five-year-old well you know me <laughs> yes i suppose th- this is what it, it's kind of a it's a good way of ending christmas our christmas season because it's it's what we started with home alone is how the different ways you see this film change mm. over the years you see this as a child and you you side with kevin and as you grow up, you you learn more about the mother's story and and think more about the the old man and how Christmas means something different as you get older. Exactly. Uh, and that's one thing. I also also that the just as I mentioned briefly earlier, contracts and copyright. Mm. The one of the reasons why this is so tied in is that in the seventies, by a clerical oversight, this film lapsed into public domain right um, and it was in the public domain for probably 10 years which is why every network in the world showed it at Christmas because it was free to show right it's now become back into copyright and it's all been like, now someone owns it again but that's why it became so linked to everyone saw it at Christmas is because it, it, the, the, the copyright of it had lapsed and anyone could watch anyone, anyone could screen it without paying it down to anybody right Okay. Uh, which is one of the reasons why it's kind of so much, but I do think that aside from that, the quality of the film does help. Yes, I wonder. Actually, there are a couple of notes here I've got on some having said what I don't like about the film. I'm now going to spend a few minutes saying what's just amazing about this film. Um, I, I particularly like the physical comedy. You have the the kind of the even even close to slapstick moments, moments with like. Um, 
Burton Ernie, which is a brilliantly evocative combination of names for those mm-hmm. who grew up in the eighties. Um, but their their singing scene outside the the bridal suite, and um, I thought of that that was brilliant. Um, I really like the way um, it's 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 the way that the world appears to Clarence when Joseph is introducing Clarence to to George right at the very beginning of the film. Mm. And the clarification that it goes through is kind of the same as the viewer. It's that very it's it's quite quite a quite an involved cinematic technique, I think. This sort of introducing the viewer to to the narrative in the same way as a character within that narrative is being introduced to mm. the story as well. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and I really enjoyed the fact that, I mean, the, the angel is in control of, of what's being shot. So you have, when Jimmy Stewart appears, you have a freeze frame of him and Joseph and Clarence talking over it. Um, yes. You have that drawing attention to to the film being being controlled by the characters within the film, I really enjoyed those those bits of. Um, the, I suppose it's more the nuts and bolts of the film, as opposed to the the acting necessarily, which is which is brilliant. Um, we've talked about Jimmy Stewart already, but all of the performances in this, you have the great scene with George and Mary on the phone to Sam, um, mm. and you have like basically the. The the only the only dialogue in it is is between Sam and occasionally one of the other two. It's mostly spoken by Sam, and all the the dialogue, the I suppose the the narrative movement in it comes through um, looks and body language between George and Mary, and it's a bit, there's something brilliant about the scene. It's one of I think one one of my favourite scenes ever in cinema. That that telephone scene. I, I I can see. That. I, I think that I put a, yeah. I agree. I think that there's, there's a lot of moments in it. I think that as you're saying about the start, I think it's a wonderful conceit in a film because very often films will waste time trying to explain things to you, mm. and this you, you understand entirely why you're being shown this guy's life through the years. Yes. Yeah. It, like, you, you totally like you get it, um, and I think that's a wonderful sort of filmmaking conceit to do it that way. Mm. Um, I think that's worth recognising as a bit of a thing. I think that having praised it up until now, I think it's worth saying that I think to modern audiences, some of the pacing is a bit strange. Yes, you, you get a good hour and ten into the film before kind of anything of note happens. I'd say. Yeah. Um, and it is all wrapped up in like a good five minutes, right at the end. Mm. But that they, these are, you know minor gripes against against what the film is mm. um so sam yes recommendations. recommendations um i'm going particularly old school with my recommendations this week one because i thought i wanted to take a look at other films that came out in 1946 which is the year of it's a wonderful life and a big sleep came out um long before humphrey bogart ah. Um, so that would be be my recommendation for this week. Although, actually, I was was thinking about another Humphrey Bogart film uh, slightly earlier in the decade. I was thinking about Casablanca as well. So there's a whole there's a whole range of films I could recommend from the 1940s. 
Um, and my second recommendation would be um, Harvey. Um, uh, and I think, although I said that the, this might be Jim, James Stewart's most famous role, I think Harvey is his best in terms of, well, my appreciation of it. I, I love Harvey. I think his acting performance in is absolutely brilliant. I will say this, that as, as a teenager, Sam did turn me on to Harvey. I think you even bought me the VHS <laughs> that I still own. Um, and it was well worth it. So there, there are two films that I've made Rob see. One is Harvey and one is The Sting. Yep, yeah. both. But generally, I think your recognition to me are much better hit rate than mine to you. So, uh... Well, there's just so many more recommendations you send my way. <laughs> That's true. It's true. I, I do throw a lot of you. Um, okay, my recommendations this week, I, I, I feel like a similar kind of vein to you. So my first one is another Jimmy uh, Stewart film, James Stewart film, Jimmy Stewart, um, and that's Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. 1954, very different film to, to uh, It's Wonderful Life, but I think one of Stewart's best. Um, it's got Grace Kelly in it. She's amazing in it. It's basically about a guy in a wheelchair who sees a murder, he thinks, across in an apartment. And no one believes him. It all goes from there. It's, it's straight Hitchcock. It's one of Hitchcock's best. And I think it's only one of James Stewart's best. Um, it, it's one of those films. It's well known enough that I don't think it needs much recognition from me. My second recommendation, I've, I've followed the director. We haven't talked much about Frank Capra. Mm-hmm. Frank, Frank Capra director of It's a Wonderful Life very much espouses the idea of a beautiful small town America. Capra-esque is a, is a saying in itself um, and I wanted to point towards the 1944 film so two, two years before It's a Wonderful Life Arsenic and Old Lace Brilliant film which stars Cary Grant as it's a I'm trying to describe it um he discovers that his aunts are insane and killing people. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> which sounds far darker than this film is. But it's very dark. But at the same time, it's wonderfully funny. It is emotional. It's drama-filled. But I think it's a great film. I feel it was remade in the last decade. But it can't have been that good because I can't remember it. No. Um, okay. But no, Ask and Old Lace... It, I, 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 if, if you if you like Wonderful Life at all, it's worth checking out. It's slightly slightly darker, a bit more screwball. It's a Wonderful Life, but it's it's brilliant. I will say about it's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Asking not less that um, well, Cary Grant is brilliant, but it's not necessarily the script that is brilliant. Um, I saw a stage production of Asking Not Less. Um, in Sao Paulo, in Portuguese, when my Portuguese was not great, and it did not matter in the slightest, because mm. it's all about the physical comedy and the relationship between the characters. So it's, it's a brilliant recommendation. I I I will stand by it. So next week, guys, we're going to be doing our our wrap up of the year. We're going to be doing our our top five films that we've seen this year. So uh, tune in for that. And after that, we're back in the new year. We we may or may not be talking about something big that has happened in the world of cinema. Yes. yes. We, we, we shall see what, what comes about. Um, but until then, guys, have a Merry Christmas. 
you'll find us online on Twitter. You can find both of us at Prestige Podcast. You find me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find me at Rob Kaiju. And remember, Christmas presents uh, are obligatory in the form of positive reviews on iTunes or anything like that. Exactly, exactly. So it's how we know you love us. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Lovely. All right, guys, well, we shall see you in a week's time. Yeah. All right, then. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bye. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.